0: Hello. Is this thing even on? Hey there. It's great to be back. Um, really, this podcast is something that I try to do when I have time. And so clearly, I have more time than others. Um, throughout the month and this last month has been very busy um, but this one that I was really wanting to discuss today might actually be kind of boring I, that's a pretty bad promo right in the very beginning to kind of tell you off the bat it might be boring and the only reason why I say that is because sometimes things that interest me the most I find it bores others <laughs> and so this one really does interest me a lot and something that I think about all the time and really kind of within the title of this podcast is the value in understanding the conflict of visions. Uh, the idea of conflict of visions comes from directly from a book that Thomas Sowell wrote but, but really what kind of promoted this uh, podcast made me want to kind of discuss this actually comes from a recent speech that President Trump made also kind of known as the Warsaw speech that really kind of made me think about you know so many different things. I thought the speech was inspiring and I loved the multiple references to western values that President Trump made in that speech. It is not surprising that progressives and most Evan McMullen voters did not like the speech because of the attitude that I kind of term quote can anything good come from nazareth now before people become outraged thinking i'm equating jesus of nazareth to trump here comes another popular phrase let me be clear um i'm really just relating the idea that there are people who will find no positives with this president no matter what i care more about the issues than personality um but really that kind of explanation comes for another time, which I think is also an interesting topic of the issues and how the personality can get in the way. But really what I want to discuss is a book that really helped me deal with the differences in opinions and perspectives in life that then leads to a clash in politics. So the book um, by Thomas Sowell is called A Conflict of Visions, Ideological Origins of Political Struggles. I know already that sounds kind of long and boring, but what really led me to it, and in fact that the title actually, um, I did not care for either, and so I didn't really want to read it. But what made me want to read it was an interview I saw of Thomas Sowell, um, where he basically said that this was his favorite book to write, which is the reason why I wanted to read it. It took him over a decade to write and it was first published in 1987 and then updated in 2006. It is meant to help explain the two main ideologies that influence politics. Um, Sowell explains that there are more than two ideologies or visions, and these can also be hybrids as well, but that there are mainly two prevailing ones that occur over and over even throughout history. So just as a reminder Sowell is an economist and he is also a historian. He's known as well as a social scientist. So in this book, first he defines what a vision is. And it basically is our sense of how the world works. And so these visions really are the foundations on which theories are built and how we use these theories to then kind of come up with solutions to tackle problems um, in the real world. So these visions are very subjective, but they are well-constructed theories that have clear implications and facts that can be tested and measure their objective validity. So even though they're subjective, we can see how they play out in reality. And I guess his example of this would be that the world learned at Hiroshima that Einstein's vision of physics was not just Einstein's vision. So in looking at this, Sowell draws from like really great thinkers and philosophers like Karl Marx, anywhere from Karl Marx to Adam Smith, to help explain the two prevailing visions and how they can come in conflict and how they obviously are in conflict with each other. And I just want to explain the two visions and give kind of a modern example with Trump's Warsaw speech to show how this plays out in reality. It has been my experience that by understanding conflicting visions has really helped me to put the opposing view into perspective. I found myself less likely to condemn the other side or at least impugn bad motives to their political suggestions or solutions. Instead, I realized that those solutions fit perfectly in line with their vision of the world. So, when we can assume good motives in other people, it is much easier to disagree civilly or respectfully. Um, So with these two visions, he classifies them as one vision is called the constrained vision. The other vision is known as the unconstrained vision. So in looking at this, I'll, I'll explain the constrained vision and then the unconstrained. So really people operating under the constrained vision, this is kind of their belief, the nature of man, that basically men are flawed. And we cannot change that, but we have to work with the limitation of the flaws. Uh, Some examples are more examples are the vision believes in a systematic process of the rule of law. The vision also believes that lessons can be learned from experience to prevent the same problems from occurring again. The vision also believes that there is no perfect solution for everyone and thus compromise is necessary. Uh, The vision also believes and favors solid empirical evidence and time-tested structures. So this is for the constrained vision. And the vision also demands checks and balances and refuses to accept that all people could put aside their innate self-interest. So that's kind of the constrained vision of human nature, of the way the world works. Then in contrast. The unconstrained vision obviously is going to be opposite of all those things that I just said, but just to kind of, uh, you know, say them out loud, the, the, it's the belief people are operating on the belief that the nature of man is capable of putting others needs before himself and consistently acting impartially, even when his own interests or those of his family were involved. But the idea is that a system needs to be put into place in order for man to, to achieve this. Therefore, human nature is essentially good. And that sounds great, right? So how does this you know, translate to debates, to other ideas? It is a distrust of decentralized processes, and they are impatient with any institution that constrains human action. They believe there is an ideal solution to any problem that will benefit everyone. Compromise is never acceptable. This vision also believes in uh, the mentality of the ends justify the means because the ends is so moral that that is all that matters. And also, too, this vision believes that if a theory does not work in reality, it is simply because it was not done right or the specific circumstances determine the failure. Therefore, we have to try again. This theory also believes that people are capable of overcoming self-interest and they are immune to the influence of power and can act as a surrogate decision makers for the rest of society. Therefore, the call for experts and intellectuals to make the rules because they will do what is best for everyone. Some practical examples of the constrained vision, for example, is Adam Smith in his theory of moral sentiments. Uh, He believed that moral and socially beneficial behavior could be evoked for man only by incentives. And another example is Edmund Burke. And when he said, we cannot change the nature of things and of men, but must act upon them the best we can. So we take humans as they are And we work around it. We deal with that. And one last one, Alexander Hamilton. Another example when he said, all men were to be entitled to a parity of privileges. Though he expected that economic inequality would exist as long as liberty existed. Um, So some examples of the unconstrained vision. One is a, a man by the name of William Godwin. He was an English journalist, a political philosopher during the time of Adam Smith, and the father of Mary Godwin who wrote Frankenstein, just because I think that's interesting. And he said this, what could be more desirable and just than that the output of society to which all contribute should with some degree of equality be shared among them. So the idea being that it is possible to achieve equality where everyone contributes And it's all shared among everybody. Uh, George Bernard Shaw, he ridiculed the idea of equality of opportunity, which is more of a prevailing idea of the constrained vision. But when he said, give your son a fountain pen, and a ream of paper and tell him that he now has an equal opportunity with me of writing plays and see what he says to you. So that's kind of an example of saying that that's impossible (laughs) to be as good of a writer as George M. R. Shaw. That's basically what he's saying. Uh, Another example, anti-capitalist riots. If breaking property and causing damage changes laws, then the means justifies the ends because the ends are so moral, it will give a good moral benefit to everyone in society. So how does this apply to the Warsaw speech and why do I even care to talk about it? In Trump's speech, he made the case for really the constrained vision. He talked about the fact that there is a difference between the belief of Western thinking and others, meaning that this is a rejection. Of the idea of universalism which has been promoted by the past two presidents so to understand this i want to read a quote from what he said and he said this there is nothing like our our community of nations the world has never known anything like our community of nations we have to remember that our defense is not just a commitment of money it is a commitment of will Because of the Polish experience reminds us the defense of the West ultimately rests not only on means but also on the will of its people to prevail and be successful and get what you have to have. The fundamental question of our time is whether the West has the will to survive. Do we have the confidence in our values to defend them at any cost? Do we have enough respect for our citizens to protect our borders? do we have the desire and the courage to preserve our civilization in the face of those who would subvert and destroy it? This is a constrained vision. This, this statement, this doesn't mean that everything Trump does is under the guise of a constrained vision, but this is an example of a constrained vision, at least when it comes to this type of policy that all people will not and do not believe, the same end goal. It is the belief that we have to deal with the fact that people do not have the same vision and might never have the same vision as quote-unquote the West. So here is the contrasting view that Trump was speaking to in regards to speeches made by both George W. Bush and Barack Obama. Here's what George W. Bush said at the State of the Union concerning Operation Iraqi Freedom. He said, We also hear doubts that democracy is a realistic goal for the greater Middle East, where freedom is rare, yet it is mistaken and condescending to assume that whole cultures and great religions are incompatible with liberty and self-government. I believe that God has planted in every human heart the desire to live in freedom, and even when that desire is crushed by tyranny for decades, it will rise again. Now This is a, a great statement to for many um but what's interesting is that you know f- for me especially now and understanding these visions and different viewpoints i do believe god created us all equal and it is our birthright to have freedom however not everyone does think this nor will they ever think this our goal is to persuade others to choose this path but you are ready for another phrase? You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. I believe that is the lesson we should learn from the last 15 years in the Middle East um, and how we go about dealing with those matters in the Middle East. That doesn't mean we never interfere. That doesn't mean we don't ever try to help liberate people. It's just an acknowledgement that in certain cultures at this point in time, they don't believe or have the same belief that the West does when it comes to liberty, freedom, and even economics that help us get there. So, Barack Obama's speech to the British Parliament in 2011, this is what he said, "'For both our nations, living up to the ideals enshrined in our founding documents has always been a work in progress. The path has never been perfect, But through the struggles of slaves and immigrants, women, and ethnic minorities, former colonies, and persecuted religions, we have learned better than most that the longing for freedom and human dignity is not English or American or Western. It is universal and it beats in every heart. So you can see how policy develops with this unconstrained vision human perfectibility is possible. And we just have not found the right combination yet, but we will keep trying. That's kind of the idea behind the unconstrained vision. What is amazing to me is that we have a current president who is pragmatic and takes the world as it is and not as he wants it to be. So he doesn't make policy around what he wants it to be. Although his tweets and personality can get in the way of his message. I am relieved that he believes in Western values and that not everyone will adopt the Western values. And why does that matter of Western values? Well, these Western values has allowed for more prosperity and freedom to the masses and not just the elite in the history of this world. I hope more people will accept this constrained viewpoint of the world because i do believe this is reality now i realize that this might not be the case so here is my main goal with this really it is to persuade you that those making decisions based on the constrained or unconstrained visions have good intentions as their vision is rooted in how they believe the world works barack obama will never not believe probably in my lifetime, never not believe that uh, it will be possible for everyone to be one world. As much as I want everyone to be one world, um, we all think very differently about how to go about doing that. So that might never come to pass. However, I accept that that's how he views it and he will thus make policy corresponding to that vision. So let me just give you one last example from my personal experience Um, when it comes to this, how I've kind of overcome the idea of those who think differently than me and how I deal with it. So in 2012, Senator Harry Reid went to the Senate floor and said basically this, the word is out that Mitt Romney has not paid taxes in 10 years. This really did make me so angry because it was a lie. And Senator Reid, he specifically chose the Senate floor to say this because he knew he could not be sued for slander as those are just by law. He couldn't be sued for slander. Also, this was really something no other politician wanted to do. So Harry Reid said he would do it because one of his nicknames that he's actually known by is dirty Harry uh, when it comes to politics. So this forced Mitt Romney to prove this was not true during the 2012 elections and then once he gave his taxes then they were able to use that wealth against him. When Harry Reid was later asked and he was interviewed and asked if he regretted lying and this that's actually how the interviewer put it lying on the senate floor his response was well it worked, didn't it? So this is referring to the fact that Barack Obama won the presidency, that meaning it worked. This classic, unconstrained, the ends justify the means. The idea that the moral end of Barack Obama being president was much greater than his own integrity. So how do I reconcile this in my mind after reading this book? So it made me really mad when I heard him say that in 2012. Then several years later, I read this book, and um, I, I saw it a little differently. I assume Harry Reid's motives were true to his vision, meaning that he truly believed the better outcome for the American public was for Barack Obama to be president, and that Harry Reid's vision sees nothing wrong with collateral damage to achieve that higher moral ends. Now, obviously, I disagree with his vision and, therefore, his method. However, I can understand why he did it and not be surprised in the future by people using this method. So that doesn't mean we have to like it, um, but it does help, in my opinion, uh, one, to accept that this is how people view the world. So overall, unless people tell you They are insincere about their motives. I believe we should always assume people are trying to make the best decisions based on how they view the world. With that mentality, I think public discourse could be different, more civil. Um, Maybe it won't always uh, be that way, but at least for me, it's allowed me to be more civil, um, more compassionate, um, and how I view opposing viewpoints. And because I've seen that difference in myself, I think if I could do it, anyone could do it. So just just be thinking of that in the future with the constrained or unconstrained. What um, argument is someone making? From which point of view, the constrained or unconstrained? And in, in understanding that, I think not only does that help us give better arguments because maybe we can use an argument in their vision, but also too, it helps us to understand them and take them seriously um, and sincerely as well. So just something to think about. And for another day, another time, we will talk about personalities and how that gets in the way of, of any productive thing that could be done So, until then...